Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio. In this show, we highlight people's stories. We celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. I'm your host, Peter Santoscano. Welcome to Episode 67 of Citizens Climate Radio, a project of Citizens Climate Education. This episode is airing on Friday, December 24th, 2021. On today's show, you will hear good news out of Glasgow, Scotland. Salemi Hernandez, Citizens Climate Lobby's Southeast Coordinator, will tell us about her experiences at COP26. She also shares good news about Climate Empowerment Article 12 of the Paris Agreement. In the Art House, Dr. Natasha DeJernet gives a dramatic reading of an original poem by Camille Hacke. Confessions of the Little Match Girl to the Star is powerful and deeply moving. But first, we need to take a trip into the forest. Personally, I particularly love being in forests. I love hiking through them. I love sitting under the trees and just listening to the breeze and the bird song. And I love the way the light comes through the forest. Artist Caroline S. Roberts talks about her installation, The Present of My Life Looks Different Under Trees. It is an immersive installation of cyanotypes that has been exhibited at Box 13 Art Space and HCC Southwest in Houston, Texas. And so when I was thinking of trees, I particularly wanted to bring some of that atmosphere into something I made into an installation. Besides thinking of each of these panels as a tree ring, I'm also thinking of the entire installation as a grove of trees that you can stand in. And because trees live so much longer than us, they're kind of bearing witness. They're bearing witness to the climate change, they're bearing witness to our actions, and they're recording it this entire time in their tree rings. I reached out to Caroline to learn more about her as an artist doing climate-related art. She has to do a lot of explaining about exactly what she does. Because if I say I'm a photographer, people imagine I walk around with a camera and make big, beautiful digital prints of people or places. And that really isn't what I do. I, I, I do use photographic processes, but I don't necessarily consider myself a straight photographer. Because what I do is rarely using the materials in the way in which they were originally intended. And so then I try and explain that I make work about the natural world and about climate change often, and that I make these big installations and 50% of people's eyes glaze over and the other 50% are like, oh, that's really cool. Do you have anything up right now? So that's where the conversation either ends or continues. I always loved science and was reasonably good at math and did find science fascinating and making things too was always in there. And so yes, I chose science A-levels being in the UK and specialized at 15, 16 into just science and math and then became a chemical engineer thinking that the route to solving a lot of environmental problems would be scientists fixing the problem at the input end and rapidly discovered that that was naive. Mostly, 
a lot of engineering stuff and a lot of chemical plants and processes are purely governed by economics and shareholders and making money with the minimum expenses. And of course, anything environmental, all of protections are super expensive to install, to design in the first place. And so everyone just skirts along just meeting EPA regulations. Uh, and that was a disappointment to me. And then there were other reasons that long term, this is not what I want to be doing. I love it still. I love science. And I'm glad that I can bring that in in a different way. I did statistics at A-level, have been able to bring that back and use it in the, the installation project, bringing down weather data. And it's, it's not even very complicated statistics. A story about a drowned forest thousands of years ago, along with the recent flooding in her city, inspires and informs the work. So I was thinking about this area off the north coast, well, northeast coast of England called Doggerland, where there must have been forests drowned thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And they'll still catch things in fishing nets and, you know, parts of trees will get washed up that have been under the ocean for hundreds of thousands of years. And I was thinking about this and how there'll be places on the earth that will drown in the same way in the next 40, 50 years. How do I give someone the feeling of that? And it was over a much longer time frame than we're seeing, but over a couple of generations, this whole area became drowned. And so you can imagine these Neolithic peoples with no scientific knowledge, no warning, just being like, well, our hunting grounds are flooded year after year, and but our grandmothers were able to hunt here, and now we can't. What are we going to do? And people moving, and the, the violence, and the there's a quite a lot of evidence of violence around that era that they think was to do with this people being shoved closer to going closer together, which given the population at the time seems extraordinary, but I guess hunters and gatherers need a great deal larger area in order to get the food they need. I was fascinated by that and I was like, well, that's really going to be a thing going forwards that we're going to lose parts a lot of our most heavily populated areas and countries are along the coasts and these are going to become potentially uninhabitable or at least more and more difficult to inhabit as I think we're starting to see here on the Gulf Coast. So, so I was just thinking then about, well, what about which Texas forests are going to drown? And then for whatever reason, I jump to, well, are we seeing a change here at the coast? What's happening in the weather pattern? And that's when I downloaded the data and was just... I think I walked around for three or four weeks kind of with my mouth open in horror just how are people still living with this is happening <laughs> like how how can you go about your daily life and not and not want to scream because it was so obvious I didn't even have to do much beyond a simple graph averaging over time and there it was obvious using this data Caroline worked with large swaths of fabric, and a special photographic process to alter their color and even their weight. The whole thing wraps around you. It's about 60 feet long, and the panel's made to be 11 feet tall, so they'll go ceiling to floor in the highest of spaces. And when you enter, you're, you're struck by these sort of lightweight fabrics that are drifting a little bit because most spaces it'll be installed and will have some form of air conditioning or air flow. And so they drift a tiny bit. And then as you look around, you realize there's years on each panel. 
each panel says a year. Because they're recent, you obviously recognize 1959, 2010. And then you realize, well, wait, over here through the 60s and 70s, it's really pale. And as it works around the room, it's getting darker and darker until the, the most recent years. 2017 is currently the darkest panel, but I can tell you that 2020 is going to be the same kind of super dark, almost black tone of blue. So you're going from these light, cool blue tones to this heavy, oppressive, dark, kind of blue-black color. And in fact, the fabric on that side is physically heavier because it's maintained so much more of the Prussian blue mineral that comes about from the cyanotype process. And so physically, that fabric is actually weighs a little more. I think what I really, really wanted when people entered the space was to just to see jaws drop open. And at one point I almost had my, my ultimate goal would be if someone just broke down and cried. And nobody actually did, but I came close. People were, were just gobsmacked, I think is the nice British term, which is just perfect for this. To create the shades of color in her forest of fabric, Caroline needed 100% cotton that had not been processed. The place I get it from, I know that they haven't sized it or added anything else to it. It's pure cotton. It's what they call prepared for dyeing, so it has no other coatings on it. Because the process I use is one of the oldest photographic processes called the cyanotype, and it's two water-based chemicals. They're not particularly expensive because they're iron-based instead of silver-based, which also means that what you're washing out is not as harmful to the environment as silver. I can't promise it's zero impact. I wish I could. It's iron-based like rust, and it's a much more common element. It's a lot safer for me to use in large quantities. I don't need any particular protective equipment to use it. Was invented in, I think, 1871 or 72 by Sir John Herschel. It quickly got dropped because it's far too slow of a light reaction for cameras, which is what I was thinking about at the time, was bringing optics and photographic record together. But more recently, it's been picked up. What I enjoy is just how long it takes to make an exposure, especially these ones on fabric. Some of them to get the darkest tones, that's like two days worth of exposure and two coatings with chemicals. I just love that there's the connection between the amount of sunshine and heat that that fabric had to absorb to turn that color and what it represents, which is the warming planet, the warming Gulf Coast. She helps visitors to the installation understand both her process and the data through displays and books she created. Even with these, she applies the artist's touch. So the explanation board I made deliberately to look like a technical drawing or a blueprint, because for years the cyanotype process found its only outlet, really, in being architectural blueprint drawings. It's cheap and it's easy to reproduce things like that. So I made mine in a similar way. I got a big transparency sheet and I hand drew everything. One of my favorite subjects back in middle school had been technical drawing in the days when you still did that stuff by hand and still did that stuff at school. So I made this big blueprint explanation board and and I was pleased with how it came out. But then I could use this transparency sheet to make as many or as few copies as I needed. The other part of text in the whole exhibition is a book. So there's one for each year as I first installed it. So it was 1959 to 2018. That was an awful lot of work because they were individually hand printed. But the content of that book, 
uh, quotes and information from places like the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. There's a quote from Annie Dillard and then from naturalists who write a lot, such as Stephen Jay Gould. You know, this is 30 plus years ago. He's talking about how planet doesn't really need us, but we need it. There is a point at which we could just eliminate ourselves. We're far more fragile than the earth is. We shouldn't be talking about the earth as being fragile. It will live on after us just in a different form. What's fragile is us. I think his quote is, we can surely eliminate our fragile selves. As an artist, Caroline allowed herself to be moved and influenced by data, history, the natural world, her present-day concerns, and literature. The title of the installation is The Present of My Life Looks Different Under Trees, which is actually a misquote of Annie Dillard that I'd misremembered. The actual quote is The Present of Our Lives Looks Different Under Trees. And the rest of the quote goes on, Trees have dominion. If I fell in a forest, would a tree hear? And at that point, she's she's just mute, lying under some trees, as I love to do, and musing about the difference between soft-shelled humans that are so fragile and these long-lived trees that will continue long after she's dead and were alive long before she started walking the earth. And I've always loved that about trees, that their lifespans are so much longer. You know, there's always that thought, well, trees on battlefields that were alive hundreds of years ago, what have they seen? What have they witnessed? There are trees in the UK that were alive back in Henry VIII's time, and there are trees that I think Sally Mann has recorded that were alive on Civil War battlefields that she specifically recorded, thinking about, well, what did they see if they had eyes? I'm fascinated by how much we're learning about how trees do record things for us, like the tree rings for that dendroclimatologists use to kind of get a much more historical record. But also the way they communicate within forests that we've just recently been finding out, all of that just fascinates me, that there are these life forms that are just happily getting on without us and probably will happily get on without us when we've finished eliminating ourselves. Like trees and the data they contain, Caroline S. Roberts is bearing witness to the destruction that our pollution has unleashed. She's hoping the installation will move people to action. I encourage you to follow Caroline S. Roberts. So being an artist, I favor Instagram over Twitter because words are not always my favorite way of communicating. My Instagram handle is Caroline S. Roberts. If you come across lots of things that are blue, that's me. And perhaps you want to find out what it would take to bring this installation to a gallery or some other space near where you live. Learn more about The Present of My Life Looks Different Under Trees at the website 
carolinesroberts.com. That's carolinesroberts.com. Now it is time for the Art House. Founded in 2015, Climate Change Theater Action is a worldwide series of readings and performances of short climate plays. They're presented every two years to coincide with the United Nations COP meetings. In episode 63, we feature Chantelle Bilodeau, one of the founders of Climate Change Theater Action. We also chatted with playwright Zoe Svensson, whose play Love Out of Ruins is featured in this year's cycle of short plays. Today, you will hear a dramatic reading of Camille Haque's play Confessions of the Little Match Girl to the Star. Camille explains that in creating this piece, he chose to fracture a fairy tale, a nursery rhyme, and the calling out of Mama. These common symbols of innocence form the spine of the play. To create the heart, soul of this piece, he examined and extracted from transcripts of Greta Thunberg's 2019 UN Climate Action Summit and George Floyd's final moments in 2020. Through these, he explores how two people on opposite ends of the age and racial spectrum express grief and anguish at their circumstances. He asks, how might their spirit and the spirit of their message live on literally and metaphorically? Confessions of the Little Match Girl to the Star was performed for the BTS Center's 2021 Convocation event. It is read by Dr. Natasha DeJarnett, a public health expert and the chair of Citizens Climate Education Board. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what I'm doing here. I shouldn't be here. It's 8.46 p.m. Just two matches left, and it's too late to get shelter. Stars, light your fires. Make me forget the cold lies I was told. The cold eyes that looked anywhere but at me. Make me forget the cold, icy grip that tightens. Mama, 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 ma, 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 ma. Are you up there in the stars? I remember those fairy tales you used to read me, always ending with happy ever after. But things turned out so different. I was meant to be in school, grow big and strong and tall so I could look after you one day. I was meant to be anywhere but burying my dreams for a better life with you. It's hard to shine when your spirit lives outside your body six feet underground. My dreams and childhood stolen I tell myself happy ever after is if you still feel your heartbeat. It's all wrong. All I see is a world already burning. 
world of people suffering, people dying, entire ecosystems collapsing, a world where the only fairy tale is the gospel according to money. When I go, who will even notice but the stars? Look, the clock is inching closer to doomsday. I don't want to believe the world is evil. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to fight anymore. I'm so tired. My body aches. I feel drained. My arms hurt. I've grasped at straws for too long. My fingers, each has a separate sensation. Why can't I feel my Mama, Mama, Ma, 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 Ma. Why did I waste all that time begging people to listen? I'll probably just die this way. I'm through. My stomach hurts. My neck hurts. Everything hurts. I feel so betrayed. This was meant to be my time to shine. Instead, I'm cowering in the darkness. Meek is the earth that I have inherited. Without any money to my name, age in my face, agency in my spirit, I'm just another number. Tomorrow, if the world wakes up, maybe change will come, whether people like it or not. One last attempt to be seen. Stars, shine your light for the travelers in the dark night of the soul. The ones after me. Oh my God. I can't believe this. I believe this. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what. Mama, ma, ma. If you have an idea for the art house, feel free to contact me, radio at citizensclimate.org. Our good news story this month comes from Solemi Hernandez. 
Solemi is the Southeast Coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby. I had the honor to go to COP26 in Glasgow. Our mission was working with Article 12 of the Paris Agreement, Action for Climate Empowerment, which aims to elevate local rooted climate action through its six elements, education, training, public participation, access to information, public awareness, and international cooperation. The energy, the people coming together to elevate what is being effective on the community is really contagious and inspiring. We have people from everywhere in the world working on this. And we think that there's not effective climate action without including our communities. Despite all the outcomes, what it really kept me going and inspiring is those people in their communities taking ownership and taking, you know, action by their own hand and working is what in what is needed to achieve our climate goal. We're no, it's not up, up to our leaders to create hope, but up to each of us to work into develop a capacity in our communities, in our states, in our countries, to develop effective climate action that includes every stakeholder. There's a lot, a lot of work happening all around the world, even in developing countries with little resources that are coming together and educating, training, have people capacitated to become climate leaders and find solutions that are right for their communities. So that is really inspiring to see. I mean, it's us who we have been waiting for to take action. And if not now, when? And that gets me very inspiring because I'm not doing this work alone. It's up to us to engage in effective climate action. Even you who are listening to us right now, you can be part of the solution. And by being in this environment, I guarantee you, when you connect with people who have at heart the best of the community and are doing what is right, the inspiration that you would take over from that, it's amazing. And that's why I'm coming this way from COP26, despite of all the outcomes, energized because the people are taking action by their own hands and making it happen. So I believe in us. I, I don't know about our elected officials. I, I hope they, they listen to us, but we can make the difference. And every action counts. If you have good news you want to share on the show, please email me, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. so much for joining me for episode 67 of Citizens Climate Radio. If you like what you hear and you want to support the work we do, visit citizensclimateeducation.org to learn how you can make a tax-deductible contribution. Citizens Climate Radio is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. Other technical support from Ricky Bradley and Brett Cease. Social media assistance from Ashley Hunt Monterano, Flannery Winchester, Katie Sarkreski, and Steve Volk. Moral support from Madeline Perra.
The music on today's show comes from EpidemicSound.com. Can you do me a favor this week? Please share Citizens Climate Radio with your friends and colleagues. Post it on your Facebook page or tweet about it. We'd love to get the word out to more people. You can find our show wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Citizens C Radio. That's Citizens, the letter C, Radio, at Citizens C Radio. And feel free to tweet at me directly at P2Sun, the letter P, the number 2, S-O-N. Visit citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog to see our show notes and find links to our guests. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education. 